Welcome to Running On Purpose, a weekly podcast dedicated to training the body, the mind, and the soul for what the race requires. My name is Steve, and I will be your host. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Running On Purpose podcast. I'm here with the man, the myth, the legend, Tomek Baginski. How are you, Tomek? Hey, Steve. Good. Good morning. Some of you may remember Tomek from our short-lived Fanboys um, series, uh, which we may or may not be resurrecting in some way, shape, or form. Um, as uh, one other podcast I listen to says, give the people what they want, right? Magnus and, and Magnus and Marcus <laughs> say that one all the time. Seems there's a request for some more um, pontificating on the current race results that come out. But um, and we're going to do a little bit of that today. But the main thing we're going to do today is talk with Tomek about the challenging running journey he's had this last year, year and a couple months, and hopefully use it to uh, give perspective to everybody that listens to recognize that when your running is going well, all is well and good. When it's not going well, all can still be well and good. And working to try to find that. Um, is something I've seen in Tomek and it made me want to reach out and say, Hey, let's talk, let's talk about your journey. Let's talk about this experience of being injured and long-term and then struggling with the different pieces of that. Um, so we're going to do it, but first let's talk about the Olympic trials. Let's talk a little bit about that, that, uh, that experience last week that, um, now we've had a little bit of time to see, uh, people's reactions that, that aren't immediate and right after and do some reading on people's experiences. And uh, what are your main takeaways and thoughts about the Olympic trials? First, I think it, how unpredictable and uh, the marathon distance can be. It's, it's, uh, it's, it was, it's very surprising to me that, you know, pros who train for it day and night, years, um, can just have a, you know, struggle with it. You know, it's like, I understand someone unprepared can struggle with it, but then they don't even running that, you know, I'm more talking, I guess, about women race rather than men. Um, it, it was was more, um, the outcome was more shocking, surprising rather than shocking, because, you know, everyone on the start line deserve deserves to be considered as a potential contender. You mentioned on the one podcast with John that let's say 20 people, right, could, could, could uh, potentially be those, those top three, but, you know, really don't know. But, uh, yeah. Uh, as we and those women were there at 20, right? right. Like the, right, 15, exactly. the 15 main women yeah. were there. They were all in the same pack. Um, all the suspects that we expected, um, nobody, uh, the only one was Jordan who had left, exited early. Um, and, but other than that, everyone who was expected to be in the game was in the game. And yet still the, the, the ones who you expected to win and be in the top three did not. That yeah. is an aspect of the marathon. You're right. I mean, that is, that is, it, I, as I said, it would, it would not have been that way if it were the 5k or the 10k. Right. And you know what, what, what only explanation I have uh, to what I just said is that I only ran marathons twice. One was, was uh, I was sick, but I decided to run. Well, second time I was sick too. I had a sinus infection and that was a year, year ago in Houston. And I ran to my goal that I wanted to run, but 
what I w- want to say, I believe, um, since I haven't experienced marathon yet the way I would like to experience, I believe I can I can run marathon almost like going too hard, but not too hard. So I believe those professionals go to their like super high potential and it's just such a small window for error that obviously was the case um last saturday and i want to experience that you know i i want to i want to almost like approach marathon like i do let's say 25k rather than than just being so conservative i know that will time come i don't know when because i'm still kind of injured but (laughs) (laughs) but that's the only one explanation i can have um why there were so many casualties you know on saturday and why so many people well i don't even know if they didn't compete to the to the uh, form because especially on the men's side because it was so quick and the men just they just run when you look how many men run under this or that it was like it was so fast so fast it was a very fast race yeah. and that is a function of one thing the fastest man made the race in my opinion right galen rupp took that race and made it his and everyone else was they were little boys playing a man's game that is exactly what happened there you saw why he is the, the, the athlete that he is. Right. You can put these people into circumstances like Leonard Career where he can run a 207 marathon under perfect conditions in a perfect place. However, the fastest in the world ran that same race three minutes faster than he did. And they weren't even the, and they might not even won that race, right? So he's not quite there. Whereas Galen is. Galen is equal to maybe not Kipchoge and Bikaili, but he's equal to the second group of any of them. He's able to run with that crew. He's at least equal in my mind to Mo Farah over the marathon distance. In fact, I would pick Galen over Mo at a marathon distance. So you saw a world-class marathoner, not the best marathoner in the world, but an absolutely world-class marathoner running against American marathoners. And that's the difference. Right. He just took that race. When he went, he accelerated in such a way that everybody had to react or not react. Those who didn't react stayed back. And guess what? Then they mind-fucked themselves epically. Right, yeah. So you you think, because I was going to ask, so you think Abdi runs so well and and, uh, because he decided to go with Galen, right? Galen, uh, yes. And the guys like Ward and Fabo and and all those two eleven guys, they just decided not to go i don't know why because it was already kind of it was not like mile eight it was mile 19 or something right no 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 it was earlier he oh, went earlier, earlier. yeah like he 15? went yeah he went earlier he went early enough to make people think not to go okay yeah. and and yes but still and this is what happened i think is that in that pack all their coaches had said to them you gotta let galen go if galen goes but you also need to look at who else goes with him. And okay, you got Matt McDonald. Nobody knows who he is. He didn't end up holding on. He fell apart. Okay. But the other one that was in there, Abdi and Leonard Career and another guy. Mayo. And Mayo, who's not an experienced marathoner, but you know his coach has him ready, right? So you're going to expect that many guys, those three other guys, to all three come back to you? Right. And that Galen's going to run away from all? No. But as soon as you see Abdi go, you better go. I, that's right. my feeling. And it, because Mayo was there and Career was there, well, you knew that one of the two of those guys was likely to make the team, right? And and even get, and so Riley lets the race go, 
intelligently, smartly, because he knew he wasn't ready to make that move. But then Riley stayed in the arena. He stayed in the game. He stayed with the race and didn't and said, I'm going to have to extend when I'm ready to extend or when the point comes that my coach told me I could extend to the finish. While they're still taking into consideration a windy day and incredibly hilly course. So they couldn't just run. This is the marathon, right? It's not just a race. You're racing the distance as well as racing the um, the the people you're racing, and on that course you're racing the course as well. Yeah, and, and you know what? I I have I have theories after listening to to Riley's um, interviews and his story, and then as well as Molly Seidel. I think they had a, <laughs> you know, they had advantage for me. The the way you know I learned where they were in their mind, mm. they were just completely different space. Like, for example, Riley. He took two or three years off, said to himself, I'm not going to race until I'm healthy. And he, was, he knew that he is healthy and he's going and he has nothing to lose versus to other guys. Like, I, you know, I was, I was, I was shocked um, reading about Jordan Hase when she, before the marathon, when she, she says, oh, I finally started taking day off, you know, when I'm feeling like I need to take a day off. She wasn't even allowing herself to rest, you know. She, her mind space was churning and churning and churning, always push, push, push. And it's like, that's not the mind space you want to be. Because once you off the lead pack, you think, whoa, wow, it's not working again. You've never been in those situations when you were like, die or live, right? Everyone's at, as expecting themselves at that level to be a Kipchoge, yet no one has the ability right. to be like Kipchoge. Right. So they are expecting themselves to just will their way in and through it. And if you're going to play that game, you had better have all your eggs in that basket, 100%. You think Alphine Tilliamuk did not have all her eggs in that basket? Like, and I'm not saying the other women who didn't make the team didn't, but what I'm saying is there's a fragility around one command performance um, that requires an all-in perspective, 100%. Um, but, you know, I'm sure that that's not really a really a fair critique because they were all in that space. It's easy to say that they weren't after or, uh, but I do agree with your point about both Molly and Jake had had significant challenges presented in their running that made them come to this event with a sense of mission and a sense of gratitude that they were able to do what they needed to do. Um, you could see that in Molly. I swear Molly was crying in the middle of that race. Like I couldn't tell for sure because I kept looking at her and I asked the two people I was watching it with, I was like, do you think she's crying? They're like, I don't know. Maybe that's just the way her face is. I'd never seen her at the front enough to know, but I thought there for windows of time when she and Alphine got away, it looked to me like she was dealing with the emotional aspect that here she was four miles out from this event, from this finish. And she was going to make a team. I couldn't tell. It was that, that women's race was all the reasons why we watch the sport, right? All the reasons why um, our sport is so, the sport of marathoning. Okay, let me distinguish this. The why marathoning is so incredibly interesting and um, why we should have respect for those who operate at the highest levels. Why you should be able to look at a Kipchoge and say, he's a one of a kind. There's no one like him. On the women's side, you've got eight different women that can win this Olympic Games 
in um, in Tokyo, Sapporo, should they happen, right? Eight women and, and, and maybe even more. Um, right. And I now, I will tell you right now, depending on how that race goes, I would put Alphine Tilliamook in the mix of those women. I wouldn't put the other two Americans. I don't think that Amali, um, I don't think Molly will necessarily be in a space where she's there. And I don't think Kipchoge, I don't think um, Kipiego will either. I think they both um, are going to be two who are happy to have made the team. Right. The only person, the only people in that race that I'm looking at that I think who are going to be beyond that are Galen and Alphine. Those are the two, I think, from the U.S. side that will be players in the overall medal contention. Um, not to dismin- dismiss the ability level of the other women and men, but just to say there's going to be too much of a relief to have made the team and not enough. I don't know if you read this um, Twitter thread that um, Alphine mm-hmm. put out. I, I will I will put it in the show notes, but if anybody who's on Twitter, just go to Alphine Tillemuk's, um uh, Twitter handle. Do yourself a favor and read through her play-by-play of her race. I have not read a better primer on how to on on an on any athlete's experience of a marathon. She's an incredible writer. She's incredibly thoughtful and in, and and incredibly open about her experience. And on top of it, you will see the working mind of a warrior. This woman was present and correct, Tomek. She was like. All in, all there, and all real. The authenticity coming from that woman. I was already a fan of hers because she ran at Wichita State and Iowa State when I was coaching at the University of Texas, and I saw her competitiveness and her drive. But I didn't know her. I didn't know she had this personality and that she was the kind of thinker and the kind of human being that she is. Um, Please, if you get the chance, read that. If you want to know what it's like to be a warrior in the arena as a marathoner, Alphine's description of her mile-by-mile experience is unlike anything I've ever read and perhaps the best running reading I've done in the last four to five years. Like, And it's on Twitter. And she just did Twitter post after Twitter post after Twitter yeah. post and kept it kept morphing and changing and adjusting. And it was just a beautiful, beautiful thing to read. No, I agree. I agree. <laughs> Cool. Anything else you want to talk about with the the race? Any other insights that you had that uh, you feel like need to be um, talked about? Uh, I, I, I. After the race, um, I was inspired. Like I'm even I'm buzzing just talking about it right now. But I, I, you know, read a lot of um, um, messages, uh, people that were in a race, and you know, they didn't make a top three, and and how they were saying how they were inspired as well so it's it, it's overall was great experience and and uh, for for atlanta for spectators and weather was great even though it was hard cold i mean windy uh, i don't know it was was great success I, I wish it was we didn't have to wait another four years for for uh, for another olympic trials but maybe that's the beauty right that's the beauty of that race yeah um unless we until we begin to value um and I had an interesting conversation with um, Jack Murray, the race director of the Austin Marathon. Uh, we were talking about ways for him to make his field, um, his 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 elite field better. And in that conversation, it was that there are so few opportunities for the mid-level marathoner, for the Jake Rileys, for the Molly Seidels. And Molly was probably, we all knew from her collegiate career that she would have been someone in that Emily Sisson, Jordan Hesse, Sally Kipiego category of dominant 
female distance runner who, if she had been healthy going into it, we probably would have paid attention to more. But not Jake Riley. Like Jake Riley was a, um, you know, a 213 marathoner who had done his stint um, at the finest academic and running, one of the finest academic and running institutions in the land in Stanford. Then he went over to the, uh, to the Hanson's project and trained with them for an extended period of time was middling. Um, I mean, he, he still was a super talented guy, but he didn't have the kind of results. And I think some of that is because there aren't that many opportunities for Americans to race. And so perhaps there are going to be more races that are going to look at the Olympic trials and give money because these mid-level marathons or second tier marathons, um, mid-level makes it sound terrible. Let me call it second tier. In the U S there are three tier one marathons, New York city, Boston and Chicago. Everything else is a second-tier race. Um, those second-tier races should look more and more, in my opinion, at giving American-only money because what they will be doing is creating an infrastructure and a support system for their American athletes. We just saw the amount of interest in an American-only field. This is not to diminish the opportunities of Kenyans, but Kenyans can go anywhere in their first-tier racing cycle. Like Americans, a, like a mini-US major, right? Right. Why does why do all of our That'd athletes cool. get on a plane and fly to London? Or why do our right. American athletes get on a plane and fly somewhere else? Now, of course, all of the American races other than Chicago are um, are, are hilly. But aren't there some flat races where Americans could all get together like they do at Stanford and stick in the Stanford couple of Stanford meets where every Amer every athlete that wants to make it to the NCAA championships gets on that starting line because they all get towed to fast times. So why don't we pick a couple of fast times races, get those Americans to all go there and run fast or send them to one in London or Berlin or or Chicago or wherever, and then let them race the rest of the cycle after they've got their qualifier in kinds of conditions that they're going to see both at the Olympics and at their Olympic trials. Um, that's something that that I think if people will give more money to the American fields, we don't need to support the international running community. And the international running community, whether you know it or not, look, look at our our, our field. We have three Kenyans. Well, two Kenyans. I think Abdulrahman is um, Somalian. I'm not sure where he's Somalian. from. Somalian. So you got two Kenyans in Alfine and, and Kipiego and one Somalian. And then you've got a kid from Washington, a kid from Oregon, a kid from, I don't know where Molly's from. She's from Wisconsin. Wisconsin. And uh, yeah, so you've got these other athletes that are, and who was third? Oh, you've got, um, uh, anyway, you've got, you've, got, you've got these Americans that can't compete, that need money, that need an opportunity, that need competitive experiences that will not just be time trial because you saw that. Time trials do not play out in these kinds of races. Neither one of these races were time trials. They were, they were real fights. And if you're going to make an Olympic team, you should be in more of those kinds of races. And these races should wake up and say, hey, look at all that interest that was in that marathon. Look at how many people paid attention to it. So should we, we maybe we can get that kind of, be one of five or six races. Because right now, CIM is designed for one thing. California International Marathon is going where you go to run a fast time. People don't give a shit who wins or doesn't win. Well, why don't we start creating some mid-level races where the money matters? Give right. enough depth of money that it goes back to like 10 or 7 or 10. Give it a deep amount of money that that person who's in 10th place gets a, at least 1000 or $1,500. And that your winner gets seven or $8,000, right? That's a lot of money to these guys. They'll, oh, no, they'll, not for the marathon. It should be more like 20. Come on. 
Well, if they have it, if the marathon right, right. has it, then maybe they should do it. But if they're going to give 20, then how many are they going to have? Three people in the race? They're going to give money three deep or four deep? These, these fields don't yeah. have enough money. So what do they do? Is they take, how are they going to distribute this, the, the, the money they have if they choose to have money? But those, those races should be thinking about how they're going to spend their money and what ways they're going to play it out. And I think that there's opportunities for us to see American distance running get better. But it's going to require, the fans are ready. The shoe companies are ready. The next step is for our race directors to have the courage to support, to recognize where they're at. They are second tier. They're not going to compete with the the first tier in the U.S. And they can compete with the second tier and then start telling the stories around those things. Tell the stories. The stories are what our running community wants to hear. That's the people listening to our podcast are not the elites. They're the everyday person, but they follow the elites. They want to know what they're doing and they want to know their stories because their stories tell that story about themselves and they can use them as inspiration. They can use them as examples. And yet we're not telling those tales on a week to week basis. We're not excited. We're only tracking the fastest of the fast. Right. Because our races aren't giving us enough of a reason to see the value of these other races. So anyway, I do think it's a a long-term project. It's probably a three to four to five-year project. But I think our Olympic trials truly showed that there is a serious market in the United States of fans who are paying attention to marathoning for Americans. Right. No, I I totally agree. And only one thing I would add, I, 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 you know, uh, at my work um, before Olympic trials, we, we had like an internal chat and a little running group and people were like, oh, so who, who from Austin is uh, in Atlanta this weekend, you know? And and that was cool that people started listing those names. They were like five or six or something. And then, you know, as uh, that made me think right now what you said for, let's say, Austin Marathon to, to um, or local events to recognize those guys too, you know? Because people do kind of um, know more or less... Um, those people that train in groups, who they are, you know, they they like the local pros, whatever, you know, and it, it they like local celebrities, and it's kind of cool, you know, because well, I look I look at them, it's like oh, you know, Will Nation goes by, you know, and he's a two fifteen guy, but for me that's super fast, and that's that's the guy. Wow, he was at the Olympic trials, he, you know what I mean? It's kind of cool stories behind those people too. They 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 work, you know, part time jobs or full time jobs, whatever, but. It's to recognize them or in a way or have, you know, if they decide to run or have in, in incentive for them to run, let's say, Austin Marathon, because they maybe get the same like U.S. people get uh, extra money in Boston or New York, right? Because yeah. the U.S. people, then Austin person gets extra money in Austin Marathon, right? There's lots of ways they can do right. it, but it all needs to be based on... Telling a story because right. we as humans want the stories told and the best stories are the ones that are closest to us. Right. The exactly. other, that doesn't mean that the ones furthest away from us aren't valuable, but they're more our gods rather than our heroes, right? Our gods live in a, in a, in a land far, far away above the hot, uh, at the heights, right? And we who are looking for heroes, we find them in our, in the, on the human realm, in the everyday. And that's right. sort of our local versus our global. And, you know, Kipchoge can be a huge motivator for us. You know, you and I did an entire episode on Kipchoge and all the things that he does and how he does it. But he's almost at the point of the rarity of, say, here is the one, the one individual who's so different from everybody else. And, 
I think that, again, that's more godlike rather than hero-like. And we want our heroes. Like, we want the locals, the David Fuentes's, the um, Allison Maxis's, the the people who are here competing, and then the story they tell. Like an Allison Maxis, who w- runs an entire business with her husband. She's an entrepreneur. She's, she's doing on inc- a podcast. She's doing incredible things, enjoying herself, having so much fun in her world and her life. Right. But yet she's still competing and she's still finding reasons to get on those starting lines. You know, I think this was her third Olympic trials, second, wow. Olympic, second Olympic trials, I think. Wondering if there's going to be a third and uh, those are great stories. So, well, let's transition into our main topic, which is um, what the fuck's going on with Tomek Beginsky? <laughs> Look, let's, let's give people a little bit of a framework. You came off of, um, I've been coaching you for how long? For about 18 months, probably somewhere around there. Um, no, May 24? of 2000, 2018. 18. Yeah, so that's coming up on two years, right? Right. right. Um, and you had an amazing, healthy, positive training cycle going into Houston. Ha- you know, the Houston Marathon, right? Well, I, as <laughs> I, you made a comment, you know, when, when, I, when I first said a few, few weeks back what's going on with me, what I've started discovering, you made a, you made a comment that, yeah, you know, you think you you got better. Oh, you just kind of mask things, and shit doesn't go away, right? Right, right. So my build up to Houston um, was, you know, I had a goal to run sub two forty, and um, I, I wrote it down two thirty nine fifty nine, and then and it, the cycle st- was was great. Uh, I, I was progressing. I was right on a target. Started thinking closer and closer that I can run probably two thirty six, maybe or something like that, or um, at least close, faster than start. And and you know, I had some some um, flexor, hip flexor, and kind of hip around that pubic area pains. But you know, I'm just go to massage and roll and, and, and kind of keep it all together. But, you know, it was not easy to s- start some stomp, some runs or repeats. Um, but, you know, Houston was coming. It was almost taper time and I was in a good shape. And then I came down with a sinus infection through weeks before. And I was like, okay, yeah, I'm going to get better. But it just started dragging and dragging. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and, and I was like, um, uh, it's Houston. I'm gonna go anyway i'm staying with a friend i have nothing to lose you know just just gonna see um what what gonna happen there ended up ended up uh, running what i wanted you know <laughs> i ran 240 and 20 seconds and uh, and i was surprised but you know i even on the start line people would like so what do you want to run it's like 240 well, I should have said two thirty nine, right? <laughs> well, I I got what I wished anyway, but I had a great experience. A little bit lonely, you know. I uh, I didn't like that Houston is half and full marathon. Mm. That the, that the split uh, off that happens. Split, you know, it's always after challenging like, after eight miles, and then you just like, oh, I thought I'm, we're gonna run together. Never mind. Let's. And then I was just alone, catching catching some people. Uh, anyway, I I finished. That cycle and 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 
three four weeks later i found myself in the, in the such a good shape i started started workouts again and well, well, let's, well, let's wait one second let me let me back up a little bit yeah. i want to talk about how much you thought that that sinus infection affected your race result um you know you you bike next to me um uh for one of the 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 big blocks when i did the morning by myself uh 20k and then which is 10 and 10 10 easy and then 10 marathon pace and then afternoon we did 10 marathon pace and then some mile repeats special block as we call here and you bike with me that and you know and was i was running um six minute pace you know for that marathon as like a 30 so that was my elect from 12 to 18 whatever after a little break and 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 was good you know and so i thought well i i could probably start 240 pace you know uh, for the first half and then maybe close in 116 117 right so that's i thought i can do that so sinus infection i mean it's it's happened nearly in a taper so it was more like mental because you you just like yeah but there's a physical effect well of, yes of that. yes yes i mean and and it and it's a longer term you know sinus infections are are really did you take a um did you take anything for it no so that's another thing it, right it, it, modern conventional medicine is a big challenge right if you take the medicine you do all of the things to your whole body because systemically they're just going to shock your system but if you don't take the medicine, then it'll extend and, and, and be there longer, especially as you're going into a taper. So you probably made your situation. That, not that you, I would not know that there was any other decision to make but the one you did, and it is what it is. What I'm asking is, was your performance at Houston impacted by up to four minutes based on your sinus infection? Let me, I should probably should have asked that question. Um, well, I, I would think so, but... Uh I think so too. So right. I'm, just, I'm just saying I think so too, but I wanted to make sure that you thought that. So that this next step that we go into is this recognition. So now that you've finished that threshold, you've crossed that threshold, you've finished that race, you're a little disappointed, right? You were a little disappointed. I was with you right afterwards. Like I rode in a car with you for a little while. Right. And I knew I could, and I'm, a, I'm an energy guy, you know, I could feel you continuing to work through the psychological reparation of why did I not get what I wanted? Why did it not play out the way I thought it was going to be? And you were very happy. I don't want anybody to get this wrong. Not like you were in, in a bad space, but I could feel energetically you were trying to figure out what the what happened and why you didn't get what you wanted, right? So then you finish that threshold, you cross it, you try to you do you do a great job of psychologically managing the space around it, figuring out where you're going with it, and then moving forward. So here's what happens. Then you're healthy and you're feeling amazing and all your fitness that you didn't actually get to show out shows out. You don't have the mental letdown that most people have after reaching a big goal like that. Having a run, if you'd run 236, 237, you would have had this. (sighs) So instead, when you finish, because it's not what you expected, you have this. (sighs) I got to go. I got to go, right? And so you st- not and you may or may not have had that experience, but that is a normal psychological framework that happens. And so then you go into your next training cycle and what happens? Right. You- Whoosh. 
whoosh, like the jet engine just goes off. And I'll remember, I'll never forget those first few weeks after you were in Fuego. You were doing workouts right. that were really fast. They were, you were at that point. <coughs> you know, one of our long-term goals is to be in that 230-ish range. We talked about that before. And you could see for the first time in that window of time after Houston, the feasibility, the reasonability, and the potential likelihood of having this big, big goal, it started to walk towards you. Right. So now we've set the stage for a lot of the dominoes that have fallen from there to where we are today. And I think that the reason why we're having this conversation is because I want people to know that your journey is a journey that many people have, but we don't ever talk about. Like we don't talk about how you go from the top to the bottom. And then I want to talk about how you've experienced that bottom, right? And the bottom not, and you may not have reached the bottom, right? We don't know. <laughs> it, it could be worse even still. Right. But let's talk through that process because I think if we can get our arms around it a little bit, number one, we'll get to know you better. Number two, your experience can be played out in others. And there's some key things that you and I have talked about as we prepped for this episode that we think are universal and probably, frankly, a little bit weird that that we need to talk about right so let's talk through that experience okay you're getting fitter you're getting faster all that to say you were right about to move into that zone when i just wanted to give a little clarification a little context yeah you you those are good points and you know i was disappointed i mean in houston what also happened i i get i get like a lock on my hip flexor at mile I think it was like 23, you know, when I when I literally stopped and like kind of massaged it, and it was like, a, oh, it's a stitch, but it's it's not. It was not a stitch, you know, like you get from the stomach something, you ate something. It, it was just literally hip flexor giving up, locking me, up, locking yeah. up, right? And and then I finish and I'm like limping and and you know, it's just like, and I you know would compare myself to all the people around me. They walk in, they're happy, they finish. And just like, I'm limping. It's like, but can't point what's wrong with it, you know? So, but like, okay, whatever. And, and let's give yourself a little break and then start running. And then, you know, I was on another level very fast and enjoying that. And I ran, <laughs> what, six, six weeks later, I ran like Manzano Mile, you know, here along with the, um, and, uh, you know, it was, was like kind of sprinting, but I was able to sprint last 200 meters or 300 meters super fast. You know, I lost the race to, to someone, but anyway, I, I was so surprised how easy my legs are. But then soon after, I got some plantar fasciitis pains, and that, I was like, okay, I, I guess I have to sit up because nothing you can do. And, and, and then summer comes, and I'm just like, okay, it's time to building again. And, and again... Everything seems now from the perspective seems I was I was not yet accepting that you know I'm I'm, I'm I need to listen to my body better you know even though I was just if you if you ask me then I was like oh of course I was listening to my body you know I I know what my body I need to run miles I need to um, double if I can and and all of that but but then it it, it broke down. Um, uh, when was that? In August, I started having some pain in the side of the hill, and and it's just I thought I was was diagnosed with some 
maybe nerve, sciatica kind of goes to the side there, or maybe it, it was um, Achilles, but not, it was not like Achilles was more on the side than anything. And, and, and from there, I, I, you know, <laughs> I signed up for the distance challenge here in Austin, which is a series of six races. First was scheduled for like uh, early September. And so I did that of pr pretty much not training for three weeks, ran the 5K, and I was like, okay, running fast doesn't hurt, but running slow hurts. And um, and from there, I was still like, okay, I'm still in that distance challenge. Next next race is November, and I'm gonna do the ten miler, and 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 did that pre pretty much not training at all, and then ended up just saying, okay, I'm quitting this distance challenge. No more <laughs> racing, right? No more racing. Just get ready and, and, and i was still the frustrating was this all the same basic heel right and same pain Achille it's like the pain the is spot. not much it's like three four mm -hmm. you know but it's always there and and the, the slow running hurts and mm -hmm. and you just like oh, that's that's not fun and like not fun not fun and finally well you there's a subconscious aspect to that too when things hurt when you're running fast there's an understanding that there's um, stretches and pushes and things that happen in our body when we change gears, when we run different paces, and when we're stretching to the edge. But there's something fundamentally really wrong when things are hurting when you're running easy. Like, and you know that. You, you, you have been running long enough and, at, 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 to know, and know your body well enough to know there is no real good reason to be hurting consistently for an extended period of time in a low grade way when you're running easy right like there's something wrong but yet you we fight it right we, right. we that's a big that's the first that's the first lesson of tomex lessons to, to that i think i want to bring to people when you're in an experience where you're having low grade pain for extended periods of time and it bothers you even when you're running easy you have a real fundamental issue that needs to be addressed. You need to go see seek medical attention. If you continue to run through it, you're going to get sub secondary, tertiary, fourth, fifth, sixth related compensational issues that are going to run up your kinetic chain that are going to cause all kinds of wreck, all kinds of havoc, and then they're going to be harder to find the root cause for. Um, not assuming that your heel pain was primary it could have been secondary or tertiary and we'll get to that in a second but i just wanted to bring that to people's attention hey when you have low grade pain at easy paces for extended periods of time you need to go see somebody immediately you need to stop running there's something going on you cannot run through um the things you run through are short sharp pains that come and go uh, dull aches that come and go anything that comes and goes you can, you can understand as being part of what happens when we stretch our body. When you've gone through a really hard cycle, you know, usually you can run through that. The, usually the only thing that are going to happen there are going to be bone stress issues that need to be addressed. But, you know, your situation was much more like, okay, like what's going on? Right. And and then, you know, at coming from, uh, from like full speed, meaning training seven t seven days a week whatever your your full speed is uh, to oh i need to take a break so is it one day or two days or three days or four days you know it's like from the perspective now i i look back it's like well i should have just given like two or three weeks off you know completely right. but then was now it's 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 too much you know i'm gonna lose fitness i'm gonna i'm gonna 
go back. I, you know, maybe the stress I had was that distance challenge that I was, I had those races lined up mm. where most of us probably have some kind of race, races lined up, the goals and, and, and once I let that go and said, okay, I need to take care of myself. But really, you know what? The, the desire to be pain-free and just be like like free human, free of pain human being that I can just enjoy walking and playing with my kids, or just like, can I just jog to to the to the you know to the to the convenience store down the street and just not have a pain that just became my like goal. You At know? what point were you did you reach that? Would you say November that you kind of reached that space? No, no, more like more like late December and Christmas. So it took you a while to get there. You were still sort of in that sale that Oh even more, yeah. When I, I when I kind of let go Boston. Right. So you you were you were in a state of and I think that's really where it's at. Like the distance challenge once you reached a certain point, you were kind of like, that's not going to happen. But I do think that Boston was the thing lingering, the thing that, but then that's the point yeah. that you're making. Hey, we always all have these aspirations that we seem to think that the short-term aspiration is the critical and most crucial one. Whereas, no, it's not. Like you were in a state of serious existential distress because you couldn't even operate as a functioning human being. In, in not that your pain was that great, but just that you couldn't do what you love to do. Right. And you couldn't even do things without thinking about it because the pain was ever-present and ongoing. Yes, exactly. And then I was like, looking back, I was like this also second-guessing, you know, um, not trusting. I guess I didn't have anyone really to trust. Uh, well, it was more like I was second-guessing all, all, all the diagnosis diagnoses you know of, of of this doctor and that doctor and i you know i i started you know the thoughts would come like do do they even care you know they i'm like another patient to them right and like mm -hmm. they just they just say oh you, it's gonna get better but then i'm on on my own with my thoughts and my pain and i do what they say and then it's like uh they say go run it it, it it should resolve, right? But then I was like, I go and try and hurt. It's like, no, I'm not gonna run anymore. You know, I'm not gonna run until it hurts, uh, stop hurting, right? And then, but then I, you know, and slowly, 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 I started finding the peace, you know, in it. Started finding the the acceptance and started finding like, okay, I, I enjoy walking. What, what do I enjoy? It's like, I'm not gonna do cross training, right? Like, I'm not gonna go aqua jogging in the pool. It's like, I, I I don't have a Boston to go anymore. Right. I don't have another race to go. I have my long-term goals. And my long-term goals, there is this tangible goal that I have that I set for myself in like 10 years, right? And I'm looking like, okay, to get to that goal, I just need to get healthy now. I have time. And even... You know, like, why do I even need to go that far? Like, just take a day at a time. I ask myself, what do I like to do? Like, I like going on the walks. Okay, I would be running, let's say, hour to hour and a half a day, usually. So how about I just go on the walk for an hour, you know? Hmm. It's like, how about instead of driving to convenience store, I just walk to it, right? And back and just see what's, what's there and... And I, I would still have the pain, you know, like here and there waking up. It's like, oh, because you, you're always like hoping 
you wake up next morning and, and it will be gone. <laughs> right? It's just like, is it there? Oh, ah, it is. <sighs> so it started, it started being more, I started being in peace with it, right? And started, I never actually said like, oh, you know, well, it's not true. I, I, I would sometimes think, you know, like we probably all do, well, my body is probably not good for that. My body mm. is breaking and my body is not designed to run. My body is is breaking all the time, you know? It's like, it's probably not true, but like, well, that's the thoughts, right? Like everyone is running happily. Even this this man that I just uh, that just passed me when I was walking, he was running like, you know, whatever, 10 minute mile. That's the luckiest guy on the earth, right? Yeah. Like, I am not the lucky one. I have to walk because I can run. It's like, why is that universe doing to me, right? But right. then but then I started thinking like, okay, so what is universe telling me, right? Like, mm. what, is, what, is, what is going on? And I, I would just start getting back to, to books, you know, to, to one of my favorite books, which is Miracle Club. Mm. Um, you know, it's like, why don't you just then say what you want? Like, why don't you just just start living in this more positive state of mind rather than complaining and complaining, complaining? It's like, it's it's the universe. It's it's a harmony. I started experiencing. You know, it's a harmony around us. The body wants to heal, and right now it's something sitting there that it's just blocking. But maybe it's a healing. Okay, so why? universe is giving this to me at the moment mm. what is what is the purpose right and i'm like ah huh, that's interesting and then I'm, i started realizing wow without all of this i wouldn't be mentally and spiritually where i am now you know i would be probably chugging those days after days doing my runs and not thinking much about it ignoring all those little pains and i'm like well, I, I thought I already had that, you know, like with the previous injury, I had kind of that <laughs> realization, but now I'm back to it. It's like, I think I should just write it down, all of this, and like keep coming back to it. Yeah, do you think that that experience of knowing you had done it before, like this is a pattern, like we all, not that you're special in that regard, right? That we as humans um, are patterned in such ways that we're we i like to call it a default like we default to a few basic things and it takes these non incongruous out of normal um stress situations that are that are we can't do what we are made to do right and then we wake up to bigger pictures about why we do what we do and also what it is that stopped us from doing the thing we did. But many of us get healthy sooner. Like maybe this is the best gift that you've been given is that you could not revert to going right back to your normal modus operandi, which is grind, 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 right? And not that and don't let anybody think that the grinding's not good. Right. But it, you cannot grind indefinitely. No one right. can grind indefinitely. And so your experience now is like, oh, so I, if I, if you had gotten better, would you have these moments of reflection? Would you have these opportunities to see a bigger picture to why you're hurt and what hurting is and how you got this place and what it is about the act of running and training in a hard, focused, intent way 
what kind of dysfunction is in play even as we call it function, right? It sounds like that's where you're going, like that's where you're learning. Yeah, you know, the biggest lesson I, I'm, 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 it starts shaping in my head is that that I was a slave to to this to the thought that there's just the one way. Yes, you know, you have to do this. You know, you have to this this thing, whatever that is, the workouts, the the days in and and out, the weekly mileage, the, the weekly, spec, the set yeah. quality. I mean, just just let's just delineate them, right? I think it's important right. for people to delineate them. You're talking about a weekly mileage idea you're talking about a long run idea distance and quality you're talking number about number of running days right number of running days and paces on those yeah. running days quality workouts what those quality workouts are how they do like people are not recognizing that schematic way of thinking like it's a way of thinking right and it's a and it's a narrowing on purpose so you can get the kind of work done that needs to be done but if it's only but many people Many, many people at all levels, from the top level to the very bottom, from a beginner runner to people who just made the Olympic team to Ilya Kipchoge, well, not Ilya, but others, they are doing these focused intent things without an understanding of a bigger global, more important, as important issue of ongoing health, ongoing physical health, ongoing mental health, and ongoing personal experience of doing these specific workouts and these specific days of running and all these numbers of days and the mileage, just like all those numbers, those metrics give us an opportunity to be so individually, so focused in such a small area that we must step back and take a few steps back to see the bigger picture while we still do them. And if we can do that, if we can expand and contract, if we can go deep down inside our bodies and listen, turn around, come back up and see the bigger picture, then come back down into our bodies and see, you know, and do that re reverse yes, exactly. going back and forth and going back and forth, we're able to get clear on the value and the purpose of those number of days of running and the space that you're running and why they matter and what importance they have. But they're also in service to some bigger picture that includes a command performance, but also where you're going here is life. Right. Yeah, exactly. And and how exactly you, you described it, it was from above that I need to come down. Because I, I would hear, you know, in... in um, uh, hear that over and over like you you um you have to find your own way like you not related to running it was like about your life right like f what what is your way like what what like don't if you want to be if you want to discover yourself you you can't just follow what what others doing because that's my or might not be your way right Mo most likely not because you you're clearly you're living different life so what is my way and do your way you know like you know I, I I walk to work, let's say. Like, well, I choose not to drive today, right? It's like I decided that's my way. And I was finding peace in those those things. And then it comes back to running. Like, oh, okay. It doesn't have to be this number of days. Maybe on my easy days I just cycle or just go for a walk. Because, you know, as I was kind of playing through all those months, like I said, I, I still participated in some races. Like I would not 
run at all. I would just go only for one run a week and still race. It's like, oh, I guess I didn't lose that much fitness, right? It's like, <laughs> oh, you can just actually have a couple of days off and still be okay with it, right? And and what can I do? And 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 that started coming to me and also what I mentioned at the very beginning when we're talking about uh, Olympic trials, Molly Seidel, when she said, you know, until I realized that res resonated with me, until I realized that healthy mind is, is the beginning of all. If I don't have a healthy mind, clear mind, it's like, I, I, first, there's no joy in what I'm doing, even though I'm winning races. She literally said that, like, there's no joy, there's no fun, there's, my body's breaking down. It's like, I need to have a healthy mind. Same, Riley said, I don't want to race until I'm healthy for three years. He got just fed up, you know, whatever, w with breaking down and, and just work on his mind and eventually get to the space where he is right now. So, I'm, you know. But like, there's a key thing there, right. Tomek. We cannot identify our entire self with that activity. When we, in, because if those two people had the only the reason that they had such strong, drastic measures that they took is because their role as runners was all consuming for them as people. And both of them were probably looking at it. We know from Molly's perspective, especially, she was looking at her contract that was coming up. So it's like her way of making a living. Um, and Riley was in the same space, struggling to think about making a living as a runner. Um, and so... When they, they got there sooner than your everyday runner does because they were forced into the dysfunction that already exists for an elite level runner. It's dysfunctional. The weekly volume, the kinds of life that you live, the training, unless you're someone, um, it's not dysfunctional. I should, that's not the right word. It's incredibly non-conventional to do it that way. And for many of them, it is dysfunctional because they haven't found their way around it, because they don't make enough money, so they have to do other things. So now they're working a job for 20 hours a week or 30 hours or 40 hours a week, whereas the person that's going to make the Olympic team isn't working any, like Des Linden. All Des Linden has to do is think about doing her training, and everything else in her life fits around that. And she's been doing it long enough that she has the ability to, yeah. to do that. Yeah, and she's doing her own way, right? And she's doing it her own way. Right. And then, but, but Riley can't, because he's got to be, he's in a system, with the Hansons or whoever he's in a system with, they've got expectations of where and when and how to do it. Then he's got, he doesn't make enough money there to, to not have a job or he feels a compulsion to do a job because he's in a, he's going to be doing something other than running down the line. Des doesn't have that problem. Des is knows for a fact, she's going to be a runner for the rest of her life. One way or another, her company is going to take care of her. She's going to be okay. That's taken care of. So these folks, because of this dysfunctionality of the world that they're in, they had to make a break. You, it takes longer for us who are not doing this professionally for us to take a break, to make a huge break like that. Like it, you said, they took a break to get themselves right. But for many of us, it, our running becomes such of our identity and so important to who we are that we can't separate it. We can't get away from it. And we run into the situation where we become incredibly dysfunctional and we disregard key things that our body's telling us. And we create trauma when we do that. I mean, you created, your injury came from a trauma space and it stays in a trauma space. And that's, 
you have to, the first step in any situation like that is you have to recognize it, whether it's physical trauma or emotional trauma, you have to put your finger on it and say, it's there. Let's not, let's look at the thing in the room, right? And that's what you did. You stopped. You said, I got to stop. I can't identify with myself as a runner or because if I do, I won't be able to have any happiness whatsoever if I'm not doing it. Right. No, it is It is the, the identity part of us as a runners. You know, we do have our lives and families and everything. And and that joy that, that we have or I have uh, as a runner, it's, you know, it's like, oh, it's being taken away. So what's left? It almost feels like only this pure thing that I had that, you know, uh, was free and, and, and I, I love doing is taking away. And it's just like... Should they be replacing it with something? Like, I, I don't even know what, what I was supposed to be doing with it. Well, listen, know, we are not runners having a human experience. <laughs> right, we are right, humans right. having a running experience. But we get That's that so twisted. We so get true. it twisted. We can't. We, and I think that all, all so many issues revolve around this. You are a human being having running experiences. That means you're not identifying with running. You are not a runner. You're a human, okay? You're not a husband. You're a human. You're not a worker. You're a human having a work experience. You're a human having a husband relationship. You're a human having a father experience. We identify way too much with our current space, and, and then we create these prisons, we're imprisoned by this idea that we are a thing. No, you're a human. Stop. Spend a little time with your pet. Spend a little time with a pet, and you'll realize really quickly that you are extremely different. I love my dog. I love the dogs in my life, right? I don't have a twisted people. Don't get me all that I'm just a dog person. Okay, no. I, but my dog does not have a human experience. My dog is all thing. His dog experience is dog experience all the time. His identity and his experience are the same. As humans, we don't. We have a brain. We have consciousness. We don't function the same way. But we have to remember that we're still in this body with this mind as human beings. Now, here's an interesting thing. Humans need other humans to be fully human. So that's the other part that happens for many people. When we get in this injured space, Tomek, we lose our communities. We lose the people most essential to helping us get through it. And we, we have a tendency, as a coach, I have a terrible tendency. When my athlete's not training because they're hurt, I leave them alone. I, they probably need me more during that time frame. They probably need their community. The community should put their arms around their injured people and raise them up because they need that the most. And we're all going to be injured at some point in time. But it's easier for you to re-identify to re as a runner having a human experience when your community leaves you. You're like, why did they leave me? Well, I must be a runner, right? And because I can't run, They've left me. No, they just don't want to deal with the fact that you have tr that your trauma might be their future trauma and it's easier to step away from it, right? Instead of us all realizing, hey, we're not identifying with one part. We are humans doing this thing and having all these different kinds of experiences. And when we recognize that and see that, how much more manageable do these overwhelming um, existential problems 
become. I mean, we do have to deal with being human, I mean, but that's a bigger, bigger issue than, than um, but I'm assuming your experience of being a human has been made much better by this not being able to identify as a runner. Yes, that was that was powerful because you know I'm sitting here and just 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 absorbed it all, and it's it's um, it's not like something hit me, but it's 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 more beautiful than anything, you know, and that's how I saw it. It's like wow, I'm 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 human, <laughs> and who I am, it's it's so unique, and who we are, it's so unique to us. But I I. I I hundred percent agree, and it's it calms me down. I guess that's the that's the meditation too. You right? You mm. just you just sit on it, but then the aspect of community that's that's another thing I I, I keep discovering. And some of my you know some of my um, um, ethos um, group group running uh, friends um, when I shared that I was injured, they they. They said, "Well, you you just said, just stay involved. You know, stay involved in the community." And um, they, um, you you would feel better. You you would feel like you belong. Like you you're not. You know, um, it's like we should create programs that are called the reserves, and that when you get hurt, you <laughs> get to go into the reserve, and that means that all the other people in the reserve are with you in the same space. So you've yeah. got a community of injured people. So you're not on an island by yourself. Then also the reserves are still part of their training community, and but they're in a so they've got the I, they get a, you know we are identity machines we we can't I, we can't stop identifying right, but we can stop identifying as our whole personhood right. We still do fall into roles, um, and maybe that because this is what happens when we get hurt. The individual who's injured shrinks back. People who don't want to be injured shrink back from the person that got hurt. The coach feels a responsibility for the injury, and typically if they're not um, extremely, extremely self-aware and extremely open-ended as human beings, because there's a tendency when an athlete gets hurt for them to feel like they like the coach did it. So everyone has to be aware. Like we have to raise awareness. Aware injured person needs to be aware they're a part of a community. The community needs to recognize that the injured person is not feeling a part of a community and they need to reach towards him. And the coach needs to be aware that they're doing more than just coaching physical training. They're working with a soul. They're working with a full, full human being, not a machine doing work, not just a runner having a human experience, but a human who's running and how do they manage that? You know, I'm a believer that you should never cross train as when you're hurt unless you can stay on the road enough to be able to reach your goal. Right. I think it's a, I think it's a big mistake we make. You're either hurt or you're healthy and you've got to put yourself in one of the two categories. There's no in between. And at some point in time, each of us has to decide when our our injury, our issues, our pain is enough to put us in the injured category. And when we get in the injured category, we stop. We stop running. You yeah. stop running. Now, if you've got a race that's three weeks away, yeah, cross train. Do other things. Finish it. Finish it if you can. If your injury is not so bad that you can actually finish it, there's a benefit to getting done with that storyline like you did when you got your – you didn't realize it, but when you got your, your um, sinus infection, you could have just not raced. 
Well, then you would have thought you were a 236 guy, not necessarily knowing you were a 240 person, and things would have changed. You finish finish the story if you can, and then you start another one again. Um, That's what it is to be human. Like We tell stories, and we need these narratives to go through our lives that running creates. How do we continue to stay community-driven while having these individuals challenging injury experiences? It's... It's not easy. I, ju- I just came up with an idea there, but I'm not sure I'm entirely ready to, but it would be cool to, to, to make happen, but it would be kind of cool to have a, a special group that was, I've already talked with Tracy Smith, who's another one of our athletes who trains in Chicago, who had a significant, significant injury and she had to take time off. She's just now getting ready to run. I actually have a conversation with her in a few minutes um, to talk about her re- coming back. And um, it's like she shrank back from the community and the community shrank back from her. And I I had a conversation with her and said, I really think we need to create and tell us a reserve unit, like an injured program. So that as soon as you get hurt in that way where you're not running and you're not trying to make it work, you, you have a community that you just jump into the reserves for a little bit and you stay a part of the main group, but you have your own group to talk about your own issues that allows the support system. And then we have key people in the reserves in the main group who are, who have been come through injury recently or feel deep calling like some of the people in our workspace and our, and our human experience have towards hospice or towards other areas where we look and we say, I have a deep empathy for someone who's hurt. Like that may be you now. Like I have this deep, deep empathy for hurt people. And I'll always be thinking about the people who are in that space. So you, as you're even healthy, can come back and remind them, yeah, you'll be back where I am now because I was exactly where you are now. But they also need the people who are hurt and having that hurt experience and feeling all that sadness and that withdrawal and the, and the, you know, like there's much more to it. We need to be a better and bigger and more inclusive community um, and take into consideration all of our people. I just rambled there, but. That's, no, that's beautiful. <laughs> I never, I never, you know, you never see a running group when they have a reserve uh, injury uh, part, which is, which is, uh, which is brilliant, I think. And, well, I think we're going to do it. And now this is the second person. So I, you know, me and uh, both, um, we, we talked about, you and I talked about what to do with injury, having that conversation um, with Tracy really helped galvanize it. And maybe that means this step needs to be taken. So I know that, I know that Tracy's really interested in that. Um, and so maybe the three of us can put something together uh, that would be interesting. You know, cause you think about it from a bigger picture, from a training perspective, I mean, there are people who might even just pay to be a part of a group um, that had a plan, not necessarily pay, but but would want to be a part of a group. And perhaps it's a free thing that we offer through our programming. Just thinking out loud now, um, what steps would be taken to, could we do to create a community of support for people who are injured as runners? What would that look like? And how could we, how could that also be inclusive of not just people in your training group, but maybe in Austin or in the world and what would that look like it's interesting yeah no i it's 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 very encouraging even though you know i'm i'm part of the eaters but when i when i get included to uh or, or get get uh, let's get together you know meet for coffee it's just it's just so special you know it's so nice to um when i actually recognize that because it could be just another coffee another thing but when you think about it when i think about it it's just like this physical connection, even though like we're sitting right now, you know, face to face rather than calling, it's just, it's just this, this moments that they happen 
um, they're very special to me. And uh, it's just this physical and tangible feel of community, which which I like to be part of, uh, comes to life, you know? So it's um, another, you know, <laughs> probably the biggest bummer for me uh, not going to Boston is not to meet those people that I've been talking to. And I, I got so excited to seeing uh, so many people that will be coming there. But, you know, there will be another time and people people want to come visit Austin. And, and you'll and be with us. Right. You know, right. This is the thing about people who track each other. You know, we have a community with Ethos and you will be with us while we're running right. virtually tracking us, watching us, and experiencing our pre-race and our post-race in a community. Um, there are virtual tribes, mimetic tribes, as well as physical tribes. Um, so one thing I want to ask you, I guess in a sense to kind of sum this up, in this current space you're in with where you're at from between healthy and, and hurt, um, what do you think you'll bring out of this experience into your next command performance the way you approach it and the way that you execute what, what are you thinking now from this space that um it could be one thing it could be a dozen things like what where are you at right now with as you start to think about oh, i'm going to be back because now you know right you know i'm going to be back out on the ground doing what i love to do moving through space as a runner having a running experience as a human as we said uh what are your takeaways from this this injury experience that you'll bring into your um, your next your next big race. I'd be expecting to you slap me in the face when I started doing too much and say, "Hey, Tomek, look, you did that mistake. Slow down. It's a week off. Or take a two weeks off. You know, sometimes looks like you may need. I, you know what? I I need to be more." open uh, to sharing how I feel and and I think I would do that and and to some people you know like you or, or some other people that I can meet you know it's like okay please tell me what you think I have this you know nagging thing here and there and and what do you think I should be doing right things like that approach like that so you're saying that for me as your coach or for me as a as a training partner, as a teammate? Yeah. Both? Mo mo both, but more yeah. as a training partner. Yeah, and, I think that that's a huge point you're making that needs to be talked about. Everyone, everyone is in a running community. And yet when we get hurt, we pull ourselves away from it. Right. Just almost like you, you are told or you're accountable, you know, because I don't like to be... I mean, it's easy to just just be in my own space saying like, you know, you don't know what I'm going through. You don't know what the pain is. You don't know what I need, you know, my needs. But it's like really you hear over and over consistency, consistency, consistency. Even if you do the slowest you can go, you're going to get in shape, you know. <laughs> First of all, you're going to just be so happy that you, 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 you got to do what you, you, you want to do, right? And the second of all, you're gonna get there. You know, mm. setting realistic goals—it's one of one of the things, right? That we do. It's 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 not never gonna be a goal of something that is out of my reach, right? But I, like I said in the beginning, I would love to go one day run a marathon that I just feel it's it's maybe too fast because I wanna just to see an experience. You know that 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 thin line that we sometimes um, 
you know, train and and just what what I can do. And, and it's not really related to time. It's more of of knowing your body. Being on the edge. We talk about this right? in our group all the time. Being right. on the edge and then going through those negotiations. Right. Um, people don't want to be in that space. It's a real challenge to be negotiating with yourself because you have to bring... To do a proper and appropriate negotiation, both sides need to know what they have at stake. And many of us aren't bringing all of ourselves to the table that way. And so you're, you're what do you want really and how are you going to get it really? Um, and it requires an, a, a sense of purpose and a sense of knowledge about that and a fluidity and a flexibility. But isn't this weird, Tomek? We all know it though. Like when we're on the edge, we know we want to get out of that space as fast as possible. There's a natural tendency to be like, ah, maybe I'm going to die, right? But yet when we're not there, we're already castigating ourselves, giving ourselves shit for the fact that we didn't go all the way. And anybody else watching could never, you can never lie. You can lie about that to other people all day long. They don't, they don't fucking care, you know? I had these experiences running the the Pikes Peak Marathon. It's there's nothing like a race to go up a mountain to make you and that people can, some people can run the whole way, some people can't run the whole way, some people run and walk. And we're talking about the guys who win the race. They go between these different cycles. So in that space you always have to be asking yourself constantly there's not this time frame of, oh, I'm just going to hold this pace because I know that for 20 miles, if I hold this pace, I'll be able to get to the finish like it is with marathoning. With this marathon, going up from 7,000 feet to 14,000 feet and then turning around and running back down, you can't run at all out effort all the way up it. So it's constantly a negotiation. And I wasn't very good at it because I didn't, I wasn't a good negotiator. I mean, I was good at it from a performance standpoint, but I could have been a much better at it if I had trusted myself, trusted that I wanted it, known why I wanted it, was clear about that from a purpose perspective, and then willing to succeed and fail in micro doses, in little micro doses of success and failure to get, to not have the feeling I feel, would feel afterwards that I didn't give everything I had. And then also not to be on the side of the trail broken (laughs) because it's like, we're always doing negotiations, but we're not negotiating in good faith. Like we need better good faith negotiations with ourselves. That's an episode all by itself, isn't it? How to create the right negotiating space for that kind of mental and physical challenge that we try to run between. Yeah. And then, and my final thought would be just practicing being human, you know, like Whatever that means, disconnecting, going on the on the walks with your dog or by yourself, with your, just just finding this quiet space, whatever that is, for for you or me, um, it's it's gonna be you know ground me better and understand myself better and and make me better runner. That's for sure. So I want to find keep keep practicing being human. Just being even, you know, um, volunteering, whatever that means, you know, um, participating in a, in a reserve group of, of injured runners and, and things like that. Uh, I, I, I see, I see as, a, as, a, as a must for me. Man, thank you so much for this. I think, uh, <clears throat> I think we found our, uh, our groove with the Running on Purpose podcast now. It took a couple of weeks, but the interviews I've been doing with, real athletes, real people, um, 
they're bringing up many of the concepts that need to be addressed and discussed um, and in a way that, that each of us can kind of resonate with in our own way as we choose. And I couldn't ask for a better a better person to dance with, man. I've been doing this with Kristen uh, with the podcast, you know, um, but it's nice to do it with others so that when I come, when I do it with Kristen, I always feel this responsibility to be the lead in a way. Um, and she gets frustrated because I'm always leading. What she's looking for is what, what we're looking for in that ep with when we're working with each other is what we're doing now, which is a conversation, a dialogue, a communication back and forth about why we are humans having this running experience, right? So thank you. It's been it's been great having conversation with you, and um, we need to do some uh, occasional resurrection of the fanboys uh, episodes to talk more about big races. We got a big, big one coming up. So, <laughs> so one question: talking about that. Is Kipchoge running London or not? Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, because I, I keep seeing... Did I you see Bekele just run 60 minutes in London? Yeah, Bekele's ready. Th this is going to be an epic. I mean... But I, I heard rumors that Kipchoge is asking for 60 minutes, half, 60 to 60. Wow. 60, 30. Wow. So he, he may be thinking to break two in the race. I, I wouldn't doubt <gasps> it. I wouldn't doubt it. I mean, it, it would, I wouldn't doubt that he would have that objective. Right. So, you know... Um, all right. Well, maybe we'll maybe that's where we'll start next time. So but, thanks for. But, but, but before that, I think uh, we're gonna have uh, world championships half. Oh yeah. Uh, come come Wara with our Joshua chapter guy. Oh, are those two going at it. Yeah. I haven't even been paying attention to that. When is that happening? It's uh, late March. Okay. In cool. Poland. Well, maybe we'll re. Ooh, maybe we'll re re revisit the the yeah. fanboys episode for something big like that. And you know, I was thinking about that too. Is. Um, Maybe fanboys is better being done after the fact rather than before. But those are thoughts. So. Yeah. All right, guys. Thanks for listening, everybody. And we'll, uh, we'll catch you next time. Godspeed.